Hey folks, how you doing? Uh, my name is Wes, as you watched online for the first time. I'm our pastor here. I uh, want to welcome you to Crossbridge today. Um, I'm going to share a message here in a moment, uh, but I uh, have a highlight in each share as we get started here this morning that brings me no joy to share with you, but uh, obviously it's really important to share. Um, we've been doing the work over the past week or two uh, to share this with folks who are connected in our small groups and our uh, ministry teams here, but unfortunately, uh, a week or so ago, our leadership team and I made the decision um, that we are preparing next week um, to dissolve uh, Crossbridge Christian Church, and we will no longer uh, be meeting after next week. Um, those of you who know a little bit of our story, we moved into this building about a year ago, actually a little over a year ago, and we did so uh, as a result, kind of like a last-ditch effort of, hey, church has been stuck for a while, post-COVID, it's been a real challenge for us, and uh, really wanted to move into this new facility as kind of like, a, hey, if we're going to go out, we want to swing for the fences instead of just kind of, you know, piddling the way slowly. And uh, we did that. We saw some really good stuff happen as a result of that decision, but unfortunately, just from a financial perspective, um, it's not going to make sense for us to continue uh, moving forward as a congregation. Um, and so we're kind of at the point where we had to make a hard decision of, hey, uh, do we keep going or uh, do we instead kind of decide to uh, close up shop? And unfortunately, it just made more sense as we prayed about it, thought about it to do that. Um, so obviously, that's not really good news. So welcome to the church today. It's really good to see you. Um, so uh, that's not great news. I know like we have folks here who are just getting connected to our community and that kind of stuff and online and all that kind of stuff. I'm always like really surprised when people are like, oh, we saw you online because like literally we do nothing to promote online. So um, uh, anyway, so obviously I know that's a real crappy thing to hear. Um, next week we'll gather together. We'll do kind of an abbreviated service. We'll have an opportunity to share uh, some memories from Crossbridge. You'll get to hear one final just amazing message. It's probably going to be the greatest message in the history of preaching uh, that you'll get to hear and um, uh, do that. Um, so anyway, uh, I want to talk about, like, that actually connects to what I want to talk about today a little bit, but um, I did want to share that announcement with you. Um, I'll be available in the back to um, uh, talk about this after service, whatever, if you have any questions or anything I can answer. Obviously, pray with folks. It's good. Um, I'll stress this throughout our message, too, but um, just because our church is dissolving does not mean the community here does. Um, so, like, our small group met together this last week. We're going to continue meeting uh, even after Crossbridge is officially shut down. I know not every, I can see at least one of our small groups is not sharing that, uh, which is totally fine. But, um, but uh, like, I'm, like, basically to say, hey, just because the church in name only will uh, not, no longer exist does not mean like all of a sudden tomorrow you're like not permitted to meet with each other or be with each other or anything. Um, and I hope in fact you do and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit as we go uh, throughout. So um, we are talking about um, you know who is Jesus is the question we've been asking the past month or so together. And uh, uh, I can't even remember what I was originally supposed to talk about today, but um, I think that the uh, what I want to talk about today, I think, links into the news I just shared with you pretty well. Um, you know, we, we've spoken about, like, hey, if there's anyone that's important for us to kind of think about uh, their life and kind of, oh, oh, what are they, you know, what are they all about, right? Jesus would be uh, the person we want to do that with. And today I want to talk to you about um, the fact that Jesus is acquainted with grief. And I imagine as I share an announcement like that, I hope, um, not because I'm a sadist, but because I think it means we have accomplished our mission in a lot of ways, I hope as I share our churches get preparing to dissolve 
that, that creates a level of grief, right? Because that means this place meant something to you. I think it means that we accomplish a lot of the objectives that we set out to do as a church. Um, and so last week, James uh, preaching kind of mentioned uh, part of this passage. I just want to read it for us again from Hebrews chapter 4. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, this uh, passage has meant a lot to me through the years, uh, so much so it's actually tattooed on my arm. Um, I'll, I'll rip my shirt off at the end of the sermon so you can see it. Um, anyway, but Hebrews 4 uh, tells us, we do not have a great high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Now, a great high priest, he, the writer of Hebrews is referring to Jesus there, okay? Uh, Jesus, you know, the high priest is a person that was a go-between between the people and God, right? So, like, no one's going to be better at that than Jesus because Jesus is both God and man, right? Like, literally in his own body, he is kind of the go-between for people and God. But the writer of Hebrews says, we don't have a great high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay, what the writer of Hebrews is basically saying there is anything you've went through, anything you've experienced, anything you've walked through, Jesus has also experienced. Jesus has also walked through it. Jesus has also been through that. And no offense, Jesus did it better than you, right? Like, like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He walked through temptation and he also didn't succumb to it like I do, okay? Like you do, okay? Jesus, when he walked through getting his feelings hurt, like he walked through it in a healthier, better way than I do, where I'm like, well, I'm going to, you know, or whatever it is that I do, right? The immature ways I do that. And basically what the writer of Hebrews is saying is every aspect of life, the really great aspects of it and the really cruddy, crap, crappy aspects of it, Jesus has experienced it and he has walked through it perfectly. So when you turn to Jesus, you are getting the advice, help, wisdom, power, mercy, grace from a person who's experienced what you are experiencing, okay? Um, when a couple years ago, I was getting ready to build, I have a lot of cookbooks. So people know I can cook, I guess. And I had to build a shelf for them because my wife and I didn't want them like just strewn about in our kitchen, you know? And so I had to build a shelf. Now, if you know me, I am barely qualified to paint a wall, let alone build a shelf. So I did, I cannot imagine, if you owned a house for 2007, I, God help you, you're amazing. Because if it weren't for YouTube, our house would just be a steaming hole in the ground. Because like, that's how I learned to do everything. And when I was gonna build this shelf, I looked up like the 12 most popular YouTube videos on how to build a shelf, right? And I saw a lot of guys, they're like 48 years old, and they got a tool belt, you know, and they've got, you know, the painter's pants on, look like the, they look like the guys on those progressive commercials where the guy's like, don't be your parents, you know? <laughs> and, but I listened and learned how to build a shelf, right? Because they, so far, two years in, it hasn't fallen yet. It's, it's bending in the center, but it hasn't fallen. And uh, I did that because they've done this before. They know what they're doing. And so if I wanna figure out how to do what they're doing, I need to go to someone that's not just been through it, but been through it successfully. And the writer of Hebrews says, when we turn to Jesus, we turn to one who's been through life and who's been through life successfully. And that's why he is qualified to provide us some help. Now going through life, right, that applies to every aspect of life, but that applies, especially today, I wanna to tell you, to grieving and to grief and to sorrow. Um, some of you may have heard this verse before. This is a verse we read around Good Friday every year. It comes from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy that talks about the Messiah and how he would suffer for the sins of the people. And in Isaiah 53, uh, this, you're part of history here. This is the first time I think we've ever read 
from the King James Version in our church. So, and I'm doing it twice today. So Isaiah tells us he, the Messiah, Jesus, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He is not a stranger to grief. When I was in high school, I, my favorite teacher was a guy named Mr. Franz. And Mr. Franz taught history and he taught Bible. Okay, I went to a Christian school, so we had a Bible class. And Mr. Franz was my favorite teacher and has been an enormously impactful person on my life to this day uh, because he encouraged me to think about and view Jesus through the lens of like humanity, right? And, and like see Jesus as he really is and not this like sanitized version that I'd kind of grown up with. And one of the things he would say a lot in our classes, he would talk about morphine drip Jesus is what he called him, right? And so morphine drip Jesus is like the, you know, the obviously white, because I mean, you know, people who are in the Middle East all look white, right? So he's like white, that's a joke, just kidding. And uh, Jesus walked through, he's got his beautiful hair that he just got done at Cuts by Us, you know, and it's all blown out and everything. And he, just, he, doesn't, he doesn't walk, he kind of floats, you know, and he's got his blue beauty pageant sash on, and he's probably holding a lamb or something in his arm, you know. And, uh, and he just kind of floats along, and he floats through life, and, like, he doesn't get too up, he doesn't get too down, he's just kind of, like, right in the middle, you know. And, like, he's just on morphine, right? There's, like, no emotion, there's no, hey, that view of Jesus might work for people that, you know, don't know anything about Jesus, but you guys are all smarter than that. And if you don't know that, now I'm going to educate you as we go here. Because that image of Jesus is going to hold up for about six seconds if you read any of the biographies of Jesus' life. Because Jesus was not a stranger to emotion. Kate Miller, like three weeks ago, got up here and told you a story of how Jesus went into the temple, you know, and like just... He made a whip. He's whipping people. He's breaking tables. He's throwing stuff, right? That doesn't sound like, that sounds like the actions of someone on Jerry Springer, right? Not <laughs> someone who's, you know, just like morphine drip Jesus, right? But Jesus, the Bible tells us he was acquainted with grief. He experienced lots of grief throughout his life. And initially, when I was thinking about preaching this message, you thought about maybe trying to like take the five stages of grief, you know, that people know and trying to like find those in Jesus' life. Um, and what was kind of interesting is if you look at some examples of grief in Jesus' life, you can kind of see him wrestling uh, through those five stages of grief, depression, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, acceptance. Therapist side is at the five thing. Okay, close enough. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, well, I'm not therapist. There you go. So, um, but you see those kind of embodied in different points in Jesus' life. So one example when Jesus walked through grief is in John chapter 11. And in John chapter 11, Jesus has a friend named Lazarus who, who also owned a successful chain of department stores. And uh, yeah, yeah, two people got that. And uh, Jesus' uh, friend Lazarus dies, okay? And so Jesus is really close with Lazarus. He's close with their, his sisters, Mary and Martha. They become really great friends of Jesus. And so he comes, Lazarus has died. Jesus saw, uh, I think it was Martha crying. And we're told in John chapter 11, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. Now let's just pause on that phrase here because this is, okay, this happens on occasion in our English translations of the Bible where something the Bible writers write doesn't make much sense or doesn't present something in a great light. So they kind of, they, they might play with the word a little bit or whatever, they might twist it a little bit, okay? Jesus was deeply moved in spirit. That is correct. But if this is in any other context, you know how they would translate what Jesus was here? They would say Jesus was angry. 
But that doesn't sound, that doesn't make a lot of sense to be like, Jesus saw people crying. He got angry, right? Because <laughs> Jesus hates tears, you know, or whatever, right? Like, no, that's not what they're saying at all, okay? Jesus got angry, we think, because Jesus looks around and he sees all these people crying. And he sees the brokenness caused by sin. And he sees, he sees the suffering of the world. He sees, he sees a world that is not as it was meant to be. And if anyone knows how the world was meant to be, it was Jesus because he created said world, okay? He looked around and he got angry because he saw what his spiritual enemy, the devil, has done in this world. And it made him angry, right? That, that was kind of part of his grieving, okay? Continues on. Uh, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then in very famous words, shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept, right? He had an ugly cry. He, he, he got there and he cried a cry that was, I imagine, very sad, you know, like, but also angry, you know, like, it's just like one of those, you know, you're feeling all the feels and like, it just, you just can't help but weep, right? It just like kind of pours out of you, you know? And so Jesus weeps. Uh, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Right? See how he loved him, right? Wow, Lazarus meant a lot to Jesus. Well, Jesus is really grieving, okay? Another example of Jesus grieving in his life was when Jesus was getting ready to die on the cross, okay? Uh, unlike a lot of us, Jesus knows, he knew when he was going to die. He knew the circumstances that surround his death. Jesus knew he was going to die. Jesus knew he was going to die in a way that none of us would sign up to die, Jesus knew he was going to be separated from his heavenly father, okay? Jesus knew his best friends were all going to, like, run for the hills when he got arrested, right? Jesus, like, all four, any one of those four things would be something that a therapist could make a good 10 grand off of you in a year as you meet with them once a, once a week to talk about it, right? Because those are four things that we're like, wow, yeah, that's a lot, that's a lot to carry, man, you know? And so Jesus knows this has come up. He's got some, he's got some losses in his life that are approaching, and understandably, he's pretty worked up about it, okay? And so he has his final dinner with his disciples, and they go out, and uh, Mark tells us what happens. Um, Mark narrating uh, the words of Peter, you know, is where we think he got all this information from. But Mark says they, they the disciples, went to a place uh, called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, uh, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled, right? He's sad. He begins to grieve. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's a lot of grief. That, that, that's a lot of sadness. That's a lot, that's a lot of feelings, right? Um, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Ah, the Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Right? Jesus right there, we kind of see the bargaining. Like, okay, God, I will literally do anything. I will clean my room a thousand times. You know, like, I don't know. I will do anything not to have to go through this. Right? Jesus is grieving that. He's grieving all he knows is on the horizon. Worthwhile to note, right? Jesus, you know, if you ever get frustrated when God doesn't answer your prayer, God didn't answer Jesus' prayer right there with a the yes either, right? Because Jesus ends up walking to the cross and doing all the things that he did not want to have to do, right? There was no other way. But to say, again, Jesus has walked through grief. Jesus is, as Isaiah promises, 
He is a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. Jesus has learned over the course of his life on this earth to make friends with grief. And when we grieve, we can talk to Jesus, and we talk to Jesus not as a person way up there and big old God out in heaven who, you know, is like doesn't have any idea what we're going through. But we talk to Jesus, we talk to God as a God who has experienced grief. When you grieve something and say, God, I'm sad, God, I'm angry, God, I'm whatever, right? God doesn't look down on you. God doesn't hear me and go, oh, man, that's too bad. God looks down on you. He hears your cries, and he says, I know. I get it. I've been there. It sucks. I understand. Because Jesus is a man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief. And so with that in mind about Jesus, I just want to talk about three ways that we can grieve uh, that I think we learn from Jesus here, okay? Way number one is this. We, we need to grieve grief. If we're going to go to like the school of, school of grief with Jesus, okay? Lesson number one is we need to grieve grief, okay? One of the things I think we do with grief sometimes is we look at it as unbiblical or we look at it as bad. Or we feel ashamed of it, you know. I'll, I'll just speak as a as a guy here for a second, okay? Like, man, I, I feel like we get a lot of messages that like tough, you know, like like today is a Sunday, right? In the fall, so NFL football, right? You know, like Jim Nance isn't going to look at Patrick Mahomes crying on the sidelines and go, man, there that that guy's a man, you know, as he's crying or whatever, right? Like. You know, maybe he should, I don't know, right? But like football, it's like, man, we're tough. You know, we got to be like the guys back in the 50s where it's like, just cut my finger off so I can go back in the game, you know, or whatever it is, you know, like, like we got to be tough. We got to shove it down, you know, like that, like I'm, maybe that's culture's idea of what it means to be a man. That's not Jesus' idea of what it means to be a man. That's not, I think, the Bible's idea of what it means to be a man, right? I'll just speak as a man, right? I have a hard time kind of saying, I need to grieve grief, Right. Sometimes in Christianity, we do this weird thing where we look at people who grieve and we go, oh, don't be sad, you know. Oh, there's hope on the horizon. Oh, the Lord is here. You know, I don't know, whatever it is. We say, oh, you know, you just need to have enough faith and then you won't cry or, you know, whatever it is, right? That's a load of junk, right? That, that, is, not, that is not a good way to think about this, okay? That, that I think if the Bible shows anything, Jesus shows the same thing. When I'm sad, when I experience a loss, I need to grieve my grief, Okay. We think of grief in our culture a lot of times as, um, like, honestly, I feel like some of the only times we hear the word grief is either, you know, oh, man, they're giving me a lot of grief, you know, like to complain about something. Or we talk about when, like, someone dies, right? And those are and that's the only times you experience grief. But here's all grief is. Grief is simply your emotional response to a loss, right? And the reality is we experience losses every day. Right now, hopefully most of your days are like a one or smaller on the grief scale. You know, like I hope every day is not like a, a seven out of 10 or whatever, you know, but to say every day we experience loss, right? We, we have a project at work that didn't go the way we did. Hey, I studied really hard for this test and I thought I was gonna get an A and I got C, you know, or like whatever it is, right? We, we have different kind of amounts of loss. And when we experience that, we need to grieve it and it's okay to grieve it. In fact, I would say it's necessary for us to grieve when we experience loss. Um, when I was a pastor in Chicago, our church unfortunately also shut down. And that was a real great time in life, you know? And honestly, this is crazy. But when I was walking through that season, you know, I had like a day that I was sad about it. And then I 
immediately turned to go and do all the work stuff that had to be done. I immediately turned to kind of start to talk to people about, oh, well, we gotta let this person know and this person know and this organization we teamed up with know and I gotta brainstorm for this and I gotta prepare a talk for that, you know, and all this kind of stuff that I was working on. And then when the church actually closed down a few weeks later, like immediately it's kind of like, well, man, I got a severance package that lasts two months, you know? So I, I can't like go to our landlord and be like, hey, can I pay you with hope? You know, is that okay? You know, like uh, unfortunately hope is not a currency, you know? And so, um, and so like I immediately turned to like start looking for jobs, right? And so I got lost in that. And this is really, sh and then like I got this job, you know? And so I came down here in 2017 with my wife and, and immediately dove into work here and all that kind of stuff. And this is honestly really embarrassing and shameful to say, but it wasn't until about this point last year that I came to the recollection of like, wow, I had this really momentous event happen in my life five years ago that was like really big and like a personal level and an emotional level and a spiritual level. And I never actually stopped just to like express my emotions about it because I just got law. I just went from one thing to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And you know, life had its own little adventures, right? I never actually stopped to grieve. And here's the kind of funny thing about grief guys. Grief doesn't go away. It just stays hidden for a while, okay? If your house, right, if you just, to use the old phrase, right, you sweep it under the rug, well, if you sweep enough stuff and if you get some big stuff, that you, I mean, yeah, you can sweep it under the rug, but you're gonna have a real lumpy rug, you know? Like, like you're gonna be tripping over that thing all the time. And here's the thing, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't affect you, okay? God forbid if I were to have like cancer in my body right now, right? I could go for years of my life probably and have no idea, but that doesn't mean it's not there. And that doesn't mean it's not wreaking havoc. And that doesn't mean that one day, eventually, the symptoms would show up. They would present themselves and I would have to deal with them. And I'd probably go to a doctor who would say something like, man, I wish you would have come here before because we could have had a lot more options to treat and deal with this. Your grief is very similar. Let me just tell you from personal experience, it's a lot easier to grieve grief, as unpleasant as it is, when you're going through it, as opposed to waiting until it's way back there in the rear view mirror. In the same way that if you're gonna like accidentally forget to put your kid in the car, you better hope it's like when you went down the block, not when you went 100 miles down the interstate, right? One will probably get you in federal prison, you know? One's like, oh, remember that time we forgot Timmy? You know, oh, that was great, you know, right? You wanna do that, right? And again, personal experience, you need to grieve. When you experience loss, especially a large loss, you need to grieve. And it will be ugly, it will be unpleasant, it will not be fun, okay? But it will be necessary. And don't convince yourself, as I often do, that, oh, well, I'm able to continue moving on because that doesn't necessarily mean that you've dealt with it, okay? Um, I think one of the really valuable things for us to be aware of is how we might avoid grief. I avoid grief with work. <laughs> you, there, there are 20 different apps that are great grief avoidance mechanism. Instagram Reels is a great grief avoidance mechanism, okay? Um, football, <laughs> great grief avoidance mechanism. Eating, 
great grief avoidance mechanism. Spending money, great. I'm, I'm just telling you what my life's been like for the past <laughs> month right now. I'm just naming all the things, right? Sneakers, great, anyway. Um, and so uh, these are different ways, but I think it's really valuable for us to, to get real with ourselves and say, hey, how do I escape grief? And just to be aware of, of why I'm trying to do that, right? I'm not even here to tell you that you need to spend every moment of your life wallowing in grief, right? But to say, I think what our natural, right? All of us naturally, we don't want to feel bad. And so we will go to anything so we don't feel bad. And like that, there's a time and place for that, right? But if we do that over time, you know, like that's not a good strategy for living, you know? McDonald's once in a while is a good idea. McDonald's for 30 days in a row. Not, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so don't take my advice, but probably not gonna be good for you, you know? Um, one of the things I think we do sometimes, we try to put grief on a timer. Um, as a pastor, I get to walk through grief with people quite a bit. And one of the things that's always surprising to me in that process is when people are like, I feel so ashamed because it's, you know, I'm still, I'm still worked up. You know, it's been like three weeks since mom died or what. I'm like, it's been three weeks since the person that brought you into this world died. Like, it's okay to be sad about that. You know, like, it's okay. Like, it's okay to be sad about that for years, in fact. Like, that is probably actually a really healthy thing, right? But because we're in America, you know, we got to produce, we got to do stuff, right? You know, we'll, we give ourselves, hey, I took my three bereavement days at work, and so, like, the grief is over now, you know? No, that's not how grief works at all. Grief takes its time, okay? Think about it this way. You don't fall into love with something or someone, like, immediately, Right, that, that's a connection that's often built or deepened over time, right? And if it took a long time to build that connection to that thing that you grieve, right? Whether it's days, weeks, months, whatever, right? It, it's gonna take a long time to get over the loss of the thing you love, right? That's kinda how love works, right? In fact, that's a healthy thing. Psalm chapter 13, Psalm, has been, uh, Psalm 13 has been a, a Psalm I've went to a lot throughout the years when I experienced loss or something hard in my life. And Psalm 13, the writer says, how long, Yahweh? Like, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day and night and uh, have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, we don't know anything about the context of the psalm or what David was grieving and going through when he wrote it, but that doesn't sound like the prayer of someone who, uh, who experienced loss yesterday and today is now praying to God about it, right? That sounds like someone who's kind of been wrestling through, we could say, a season of grief. Weeks, months, years. How long does grief take? Well, it takes what it takes. And it works how it works. My grandmother died. My grandma uh, was like the first, I've had other people in my life die before, but she was like the first person that like I was close to and that meant, you know, a lot to me. And it was the first time I called up through that. And I think it was probably on the 24 or 25 at the time. And uh, I wasn't married yet. Brittany wasn't really in the picture yet. And uh, I just remember, I think she died in February. It was like a random November day. It was, honestly, it's a lot like this day. I was driving home from work. I, I can remember exactly where I was. I drove over this little bridge in the neighborhood I lived in. And I just broke down in the car because randomly, nine months after my grandma had passed, I realized my grandma's never going to watch me walk down the aisle and get married. And my grandma's never going to see me have a kid. 
my grandmother is never going to see me celebrate the milestone of purchasing a first home or you know like any of this kind of stuff you know that I, I, I just you know always had imagined she would be a part of in some way you know and that was nearly a year after she had died and it wasn't a big deal you know it wasn't like I needed to take two weeks off of work to grieve the loss or whatever you know but it was there because that's kind of how grief works and it's okay and in fact it it doesn't mean something's wrong with you it means something's really healthy with you when grief kind of comes in waves and you don't just get over it second thing i think we can learn in, in jesus school of grief is that uh, we need to go to god in the midst of grief uh, we need to turn to god uh, in the midst of grief Okay? Jesus, when he's grieving his, uh, you know, his upcoming death, right? What did we just look at? He, he, he prayed to God in the garden. Um, and we can look at the Psalms, and, and the Psalms, I've told you this before, but the largest group of Psalms out of the 150 Psalms we have in the Bible, these prayers, right? The largest group, around half, um, I can never remember if it's a little more or a little less, but basically around half of those Psalms are Psalms of lament. They are prayers of God, life sucks. I'm experiencing grief. I'm walking through this. And it's just someone kind of sharing, sharing their thing, you know, share, sharing their deal with God. And, uh, and then kind of walking through that. And that's half of the largest book in the Bible. Um, psalm 88, uh, I call it the, uh, the sound of silence psalm because it ends with darkness is my closest friend. You know, so every time I finish, I always hear that song in my head. Um, you have put me in the uh, you have put me in the lowest pit and the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. Wow, this is a real positive prayer. Remember when Johnny sang that song earlier? There's like, God, your wrath has overwhelmed me like a wave. I'm drowning. Not in your love and your wrath. You know, like, oh yeah, that's top top ten. You know, chart hitting stuff. You know, you've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call out to you, Yahweh, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Right? I, like, frankly, if I'm God in that situation, I'm kind of going, hey, man, it's okay to take a day off if that's going to be what you're, what you're going to be saying this whole time. Right? But not God's, God's much better than I am. Right? <laughs> Newsflash. And... Uh, and I love what this, like, this psalmist, the guy writing this psalm, he's got nothing to say to God except, God, I, I got a lot of problems with you people. You know, I got a lot of problems with you. And he said, and every day I'm going to show up and I'm going to share them. And God said, man, that's so good. We should put that in my book. We should put that in the Bible. Because I think that's meant to be an example to us. How many times when we experience hard times in life, um, instead of drawing near to God, I withdraw from God. And I can withdraw for a number of reasons, out of frustration, out of anger, out of sadness, out of even just like, God, I, like, I just don't even know what to say. I don't even know where to start. But God says, no, I want you to, I want you to come near to me every day. I don't want you to cut yourself off from the comforter. Okay. Jesus, when he was getting ready to leave his disciples at the Last Supper, again, right before he you know, prayed in the garden, you know, experienced all this grief, Jesus says these words, when the, comforter, uh, when the Comforter has come, 
whom I will send, uh, whom I will send unto you. King James, man, I don't know how to read it. When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, he shall testify of me. Right? The Comforter Jesus speaks about there is another term for the Holy Spirit. The Greek word that uh, John uses here is paraclete. It's the idea of an, an advocate. God's very name, the, the very way God refers to his spirit is comforter, advocate. If I want to experience comfort in my grief, one of the, one of the silliest things I can do is withdraw myself from the very comforter who has the comfort that I need. But Wes, I don't know what to say. Wes, I don't know what to do. Wes, I'm angry. Okay, great. Like, did you not just read the psalm? Like, I mean, you can be pretty honest with God. You know, like, that's not a, you know, he's a big boy. He can handle it, you know. But I, I feel like, honestly, for me, more of the time, and this has been me lately, like, I just don't know what to say to God. I, like, God, I, I'm just sitting here. I got nothing, you know. And that's okay, too. This verse has provided me a lot of comfort through the years. Romans chapter 8. Uh, Paul writes, in the same way the Spirit helps us, the Spirit, that same Spirit, the Comforter, Jesus was just talking about, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Check, got that one. Uh, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us uh, through wordless groans. So, like, again, I'm not exactly sure, like, how this works, what Paul's writing in the Bible, you know, like, but basically this idea, like, hey, when I got nothing to give God but, like, a, uh, you know, he, he knows how to interpret that as a prayer. Like, like you know, he, he, he knows how to kind of voice that in God's presence in a way that's helpful. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So here's, here's what Paul is trying to remind us of. When I come before God and all of God is, oh, you know, God who knows our heart can look into my heart and he knows what that oh, is all about. And he knows the very thing I'm trying to express that I either don't know how to express, I don't have the energy to express, I don't have the words to express, I don't have the just the emotional wherewithal and energy in that moment to express, whatever it is, right? God, God, God knows it, he understands it, he hears it. And it's okay. You know, I do this thing. It's probably a side effect in the history where I feel like, well, you know, to be an officially sanctioned prayer, it must be at least 12 minutes long. And it must, you know, have this many. And it has to have a praise section. It has to have a seek your will, God, set, you know, whatever it is. Okay. And like, that's just a load of junk. Like, that is so incorrect, right? Because honestly, I think there's value. If we're to take Romans 8 at face value, I think there's value in us just sitting before God and just saying, God, I don't know, man. And just leaving it at that. And just sitting in his presence for a few minutes and just kind of being there. All right? When I say go to God in grief, right? That doesn't have to be some perfectly worded prayer. And it doesn't even have to be some put together psalm, even if the psalm is angry at God. I mean, if you got that in you, great. You know, that's wonderful. I think that I think the prayer could be God. I, I got five minutes for you, man, and I'm going to speak for about half a second of those five minutes. And I'm just going to kind of sit here for the rest of them. And guess what? God's okay with that. Last thing that I think we learn in Jesus' uh, school of grief is that we need to choose community. The hardest part about I think our church 
uh, shutting down. And the thing, honestly, that gives me the most grief as your pastor is not like the personal ramifications for me and my family, like those aren't easy either. But it's a knowledge of we've built this community here. And my concern is, man, I don't want you to lose your community. And I don't want you to lose the people you care about because it's a lot easier when you have a, a thing, you know, every week we're going to get together at this time and this place, you know, whatever it is, right? I think the thing that brings me greatest pain and, and greatest joy is to see the people in our church who have found a community here after struggling so long to find a community elsewhere. And for all the ups and downs and things I've done right and wrong in my five and a half years as a pastor of this joint, that I think, I think the thing that has been the most encouraging to me to see is to, I think, watch Crossbridge transition from a community of just kind of random mismatched people who happen to occupy a similar spot um, it, initially downtown and you know now at probably in our 96th location in 15 years <laughs> here. Um, to move from just kind of this random group of people who happen to go to the same church to truly what I think God desires for his church to be, which is a group of people genuinely connected in community and genuinely doing their best to try to seek him and try to love others and love him the way that we have been called by him to do. And it gives me a lot of joy to see that in our church. It gives me a lot of joy, I think, to see people in our church that I, I think uh, have had a lot of trouble connecting in other communities and other churches to be a part of stuff here. And it brings me a lot of pain to know this community is drawing to a close, at least in the form that we have seen it now. And my prayer for all of you, as for me, is that we would continue to choose community. And my belief is, if God is closing the door on this season, what I believe that means is that there is a new season that lies ahead for all of us. And for some of us, it may be together. For some of us, it may be apart in different places. Some of us, right, we are naturally going to move to a new community anyway, right? I got a new job that's going to a new place. I'm going to graduate school or I'm going to, you know, do whatever it is that you do, right? But my prayer for you it is that you would continue to choose community. Because I think that's important, especially as we walk through grief. Psalm 42, uh, which we're pretty sure was written by David. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. So he's not eating and he's crying a lot. Sounds like depression. Sounds like grief. My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Sounds like you need some new people in your life, but hey, that's just me. <laughs> These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Okay, so here's what David remarks here. I have been living in depression, and he's looking wistfully back on the times, basically, you know, to make it rudimentary, He's looking back on the times when he used to go to church with the community of people around him. 
And surely there were a number of factors in his life that made him depressed in that moment. But at least one of those was he, he, he was no longer, for whatever reason, a part of this community that he had come to spend and enjoy his life with. Community is important. And that's why, you know, in this era of we can do church online and all this kind of stuff, right? That, that's why, hey, you could download a thousand podcasts with a preacher way better than me, you know, way more biblical, way better communicator, right? You can you can buy your favorite worship CD, you know, you can listen to Gyra 4,000 times in a row, you know, or whatever song you like to jam out to, you know. But that's not church. And the reason it's not church is because church, it's a, it's a community. It's, a, it's the family of God gathered in kind of one local access point. That's why when people, you know, kind of walk away from church, you know, but they're like, oh, but I'm still with God. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm glad you're still with God, right? But like, hey, like whatever church you're walking away from, they're going to miss your presence because you have something to give. And hey, heads up. Uh, they got something to give you, too, that you're not going to get through your favorite, you know, whatever sermon or whatever's happening, you know. That's important. That's big. Community is what allows us, I think, to often experience the Lord. Um, Mark 16.1. This is a story of uh, people getting ready to go to the tomb uh, on Easter Sunday. And again, I remind you, the people here walking to this tomb... They didn't go being like, man, I can't wait to see Jesus, you know, like, I can't wait to, you know, like, they, like they, they thought they were going to encounter a body in the tomb, right? Because, like, no one was, no one was outside the tomb going, okay, 10, <laughs> not, you know, like, they weren't waiting, right? No one knew that Jesus was going to rise. But I think it's significant, this little detail that gets so easily over, o- overlooked. When the Sabbath was over, so Saturday's over, done, gone. Sunday's here. Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome. Wow, you look good for 2,000 years later. Um, Mother of James and Salome uh, brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Okay? Notice, it wasn't one lady. It wasn't two ladies. It was three ladies, and probably a couple more that were not mentioned here. They went in a community. Because, as is often the case, Women are a lot smarter than men, and they understand, like, hey, I got to do this with some friends, and not, you know, like, a guy's just like, well, I'm just going, I'm, I'm just frustrated, you know, like, or whatever these guys say, you know. I'm not sad, I'm just frustrated, you know. Um, Job is a story in the Bible of um, a guy who encountered incredible hardship. At, like, I mean, his life was like a country song, but for real, you know. And everyone, everything in his life was gone, died, whatever, you know. And the story of Job is a story of the three crappiest friends in the world, because Job is going through a lot of pain. He complains to God, and then all of his friends are basically like, I mean, Job, I mean, I hear what you're saying, man, but like, you must be a horrible sinner or else God wouldn't have done this to you, which that's always good when you're, you know, when you're down and your friends are like, you're probably a really terrible sinner who should go to hell, Job. You know, like, oh, thanks. That was really helpful, guys. So it didn't go too well for that at the end of the story. Yeah, spoiler alert. Um, but anyway, Job's friends, for all the bad things they did in the story in terms of being crappy friends, they start really, really well. Because after Job, like literally, everything in Job's life is gone, and now Job has been afflicted with this disease that causes boils on his skin, and they're so painful, he decides, hey, you know what would be better? I'm just going to take a cracked piece of pottery and just scrape the pus off of my set. Like, oh, man, that sounds like a fun Saturday afternoon. You know, great. 
And so when Job's three friends, this is probably why they're bad, you know, bad friends. I mean, look at their names, right? Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all their troubles that come, uh, uh, come upon Job. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. Job was in such bad shape, like they couldn't even tell it was him practically. Um, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. That was like a sign of uh, a mourning and, you know, all that. Then they sat on, him, on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. So they went over to see their pal Job and they just sat with him for seven days. They didn't say anything. They didn't do anything. They, they just sat. Uh, the Jews to this day have a uh, practice called sitting shiva. And it finds its origin in Job chapter 2. And it's basically the practice of uh, when a Jewish person or family has experiences a great loss, the community, their friends, their family, well, basically they come over to their house and they do this exact thing. They just, they just sit in their living room with them. They just sit. They don't say anything. They just sit. I remember the first time I heard about that about, I don't know, 11 or 12 years ago, and I thought, man, you know, those old Hebrew traditions, man, they knew what they were doing. You know, like, that's so smart. I had a professor in college who said, out of all the ministry that you do, the ministry of presence may be the most important thing. And all he was saying was, hey, there's a lot of ministry power that comes in just being there. But it's hard to be there if we divorce and isolate ourselves from community. Job had a community, broken and messed up and misguided as they were. John chapter 19. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And we're told near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John, the guy writing this gospel, which it was kind of like bad taste for you to say your own name and a you know, and a <laughs> so he so he came up with the most pretentious name possible. <laughs> anyway, um, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. I don't know about you. Jesus, I think, said seven words from the cross, or seven phrases from the cross. 16% of the words he said from the cross were, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, hang out on the cross gives us some time to think. I just think we should start a new community group. You know, and I was thinking, John and Mom, you guys should just like, you, you guys should be like the, the co-leaders of it. You know, like, even from the cross, Jesus is like, hey, my mom is about to undergo a really terrible loss, and my best friend is about to undergo a pretty bad loss, and I want to make sure that they aren't alone as they do it. And so from the cross, gasping for air, gasping for breath, what does Jesus do? He makes sure from his own cross to, to make sure 
that, that these two people don't grieve and mourn alone. Because community matters. And because community is important. And because grief is hard. And if we as a church do anything, it should be to make sure that no one grieves alone. My old boss was a guy named Dan Donaldson. And if you met Dan, Dan is like one of the most hard-charging people in the world. You know, Dan was like, you can get on board with me or you can get mowed over under me. But, you know, those are your options. You know, he, like, he's that kind of guy, you know. And But one day, like someone important at our church died or I can't remember what happened. But like Dan went on for like 10 minutes about, he's like, I want our church to be the best church at funerals in the entire world. You know, like he went on for like, we're like, Dan, like calm down, man. No one's, no one's like advocating for sucky funerals in the room. Like, you know, like, but he, like, this was like a thing to him, you know, right? And he, and he ended by saying, because no one should have to walk through grief feeling alone was his thing, you know? Dan was not exactly Mr., I mean, Dan was not Mr. Touchy-feely, you know? Like, he was not, he's not a guy where he had a nice light pastoral touch, you know? It was not Dan's kind of go-to. But even he was kind of like, man, yeah, that's that's important. That, that's big. That's huge. Let me do that. No one should have to grieve alone. Jesus teaches us a lot about grief. And I think when we answer this question, who is Jesus? Our answer should always come in the context of Jesus is a God who cares. He is a God who loves. He is a God who is well acquainted with and when we experience grief, we can know he too is well acquainted with it. My challenge to you is as this chapter comes to a close, I want to encourage you, don't divorce yourself from community. I want to encourage you to find a church community to call your own. Next week, we hope to have kind of maybe some options that you can check out or some places where we have some relationships that could be a good place for you to start. Um, I'd encourage you, hey, meet with a group of friends here at Crossbridge even after the doors close. That's important. That's good. That's a that's a meaningful thing that you can do together um, to, to kind of walk through. I mean, hey, you're all experiencing a very similar loss. That could be a great object, uh, a great practice, rather, for you guys to, to be a part of together. But if nothing else, I hope we walk away knowing, hey, who is Jesus? Jesus is a, a God who is acquainted with grief and sorrow. And what that means is... When we walk through grief and sorrow, he is able to help us as well. It's pretty much anything hard we walk through. Jesus is somehow well-equipped to help us walk through it together.